each section beginning with the same Hebrew letter. Today we come to the Hebrew letter Ayin, and it's verses 121 through 128. Let's now hear uh, God's uh, holy word. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's seek once again uh, the Lord's help together in prayer. Uh, Lord, this is your word, uh, which is better than gold, even fine gold. We pray, O Lord, that you would help the one who is preaching your word tonight to preach with clarity and in truth and in power. Lord, that you would grant your spirit to each one that listens, that we would receive this word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Do you have somebody to take care of you? Well, if you're a child in the room, that's a very important question. Children need... Uh, adults uh, to care for them and to provide for their every need. But it's actually an important question for adults as well, because we also need to be taken care of uh, in this world. It is a world of danger. It is a world uh, in which Satan is active. It is a world in which we are threatened on many fronts. Do we have somebody to take care of us? And the answer if you are a Christian, is that you most certainly do. That the living God is your help. Uh, In the words of one of the hymns in our hymnal, under the care of my God the Almighty, safe in the secret place of the Most High, He is my refuge. The Lord is my fortress. Him I am trusting when trouble is nigh, under his wings, under his wings, safe in the refuge hide thee, trusting his truth and faithfulness, no evil can betide thee. I think that theme of the Lord's care for his people is uh, perhaps the unifying theme of this particular section of, uh, of Scripture And so that's what I want to consider today is the Lord's care for his people under the Lord's care. And you might ask the question, well, how is it that the Lord cares for me? We can say that, but 
practically, what does it mean that he is caring for me? Well, we could list a hundred different ways uh, today, but let's point out six different things that this psalm especially uh, teaches us. Uh, Those six things are going to be these, that he sees and judges righteously, that he defends his servants with covenant faithfulness, that he fulfills all his promises in his timing, that he grants his servants both mercy and understanding, that he acts powerfully toward the lawless, and he gives us his exceedingly valuable word. Well, that was probably too much for those of you that are writing them down, so you can write them down one at a time as we uh, come to them. First of all, we're going to see that he sees and judges righteously. How does the Lord care for his people? First of all, in verse 121, he sees and he judges righteously. You know, I think one of the most trying experiences that any of us can face in this world is when you seek to act in a righteous manner and yet you are treated unfairly or unjustly. Uh, Perhaps that happens in the workplace. You seek to be above reproach, working your hardest, even when uh, the boss and others have no idea what you're doing, going the extra mile, working with integrity. And it seems that you get uh, blamed for something that you didn't do. Somebody else gets the raise, somebody else gets the promotion, and not you. Perhaps this happens in many of your relationships as well, relationships perhaps in your own family or uh, with friends. Uh, You have sought to treat the other person with kindness, to tell them the truth, to speak honestly, and the other person hasn't acted that way and in fact accuses you of acting wrongly, and a relationship is broken. And and you think, I've I've tried to do all that I can. How unfair, how unjust. Perhaps it's a relationship uh, with uh, the the state. As Christians, we increasingly are going to be under pressure from uh, governing authorities to conform to uh, the secular mindset of our world, and we are going to seek to to act above reproach and yet, at times, be treated unfairly. Uh, The powerful in our world, there are power dynamics that are at work in our world, and the powerful can wield their power in in an oppressive way against uh, the weak. So what are you to do when you are the victim in this kind of situation? Well, you could get frustrated and very bitter. That's one option. It doesn't do a lot of good. Uh, A second option is to seek redress and to try to right the wrong. Now, that often is a very appropriate option to take. But your options often are limited. Sometimes you're going to face situations when nothing can be done. And so, again, that's a good option to take. But it won't always work. Well, the third option is this, and this is one that is always appropriate, and that is to seek to keep a good conscience and to commit your way to the Lord. To seek to live before the Lord in righteousness and to commit your way unto him. And I think that's exactly what the psalmist is doing 
here. He says, I have done what is just and right. And then he prays to the Lord, do not leave me to my oppressors. Now, why can we commit our way to the, to the Lord? Well, it is because the Lord sees and judges righteously. And the Lord is pleased to come to the aid of his weak and needy people. Uh, there are actually many places in Scripture that express this. Let me just uh, mention one of them. It's Psalm 72, uh, uh, verse 4. There it says, May he, that is the Lord, defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Or in Psalm 72, verses 12 and 13, For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. What wonderful words those are when we have no human helper. When it seems that we have been treated unjustly in the courts of humanity, as it were, we have a God who has seen and observed everything and who knows our way and who is far more powerful and greater than the most powerful of human actors. Ultimately, dear friends, our way can be committed unto, uh, the God, uh, unto our God. And, and friends, that, that day of judgment, the great day of our Lord's uh, return, there's going to be a great reversal that happens. On that day, many of those who seem the most powerful and in control and yet to have acted in oppressive ways against the will of the Almighty are going to be brought down and it is going to be the humble believers who are exalted on that final day. And so it does teach us that our chief concern in every situation in every conflict, perhaps, that you face, at work, in your marriages, in friendships, in everything, might your chief concern be this, that I want to act righteously in the sight of my God, maintain a clear conscience before Him, and commit my way unto the Lord. The Lord cares for His people by seeing and judging Righteously. Well, secondly, how does the Lord exercise care over his people? And the second way is that he defends his servants with covenant faithfulness. We see this in verse 122. He defends his servants with covenant faithfulness. Uh, this verse is, uh, in many ways, similar to the previous one. Uh, you'll notice the second half of the verse. He says, let not the insolent oppress me. So once again, he's concerned about those who are oppressing him. But whereas in the previous verse, he appealed to his good conscience, and that was a right thing to appeal to, here he appeals to an even more sure ground, and that is God's covenant faithfulness. Give your servant a pledge for a pledge of good. He desires that the Lord would give him a pledge of good, what we might call a surety, a guarantee that he will act in love uh, toward us. Now friends, that surety or that guarantee, that pledge, is exactly what we do have if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it in his covenant 
the very thing that we've been discussing in our Sunday school classes. Uh, We have it chiefly in the Christ of the covenant. Uh, The one who, by his redeeming work, has guaranteed that all of the blessings of the covenant will come to his people. Because Christ has died for us, therefore, we have every spiritual blessing in the Beloved. Because Jesus is our Savior, because He went to the cross for us, we can be assured that the Lord is for us. That He has forgiven our sin. That He has cleansed us and given us of His Holy Spirit. And that He is going to protect us and defend us. In other words, if He has given Jesus Christ so that we would be saved, He is promising to take us every step along the way that will lead ultimately to glory. Romans 8.32 Right? If He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not? You get the logic. How could He possibly not freely, with Jesus, give us all things? He has given us Christ. He has given us everything that we need in this life, including defense against those who would have their way with our own souls. Oh, friends, what a glorious thing it is to be secure in the hands of our blessed Savior. He is the pledge for our good. And our God is on the side of His people. And I just ask you, in times of conflict, in times when you feel oppression, or when you have been treated unjustly, do you go there in your own mind? Do you go to the covenant? Do you go to Christ's sure work? Do you go to your sure safety in Him? Do you go to that fact that because of Jesus Christ, none of your soul's enemies ultimately can have their way with you? Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. Well, thirdly, how does the Lord care? How are we under the care of the Lord? And the third thing is, is that He fulfills all of His promises in His own timing. We see this in verse uh, 123. You know, God's servants are often uh, made to wait. Uh, We cry to God and God doesn't seem to answer. We cry to God to act on His own promises. And nothing seems to change. That's exactly what the psalmist is expressing in verse 123. He says, My eyes long for your salvation. Actually, in the old King James, it's my eyes fail for thy salvation. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, that the psalmist wept, waited, and watched for God's saving hand. And these exercises tried the eyes of his faith till they were almost ready to give out. He looked to God alone. He looked eagerly. He looked long. He looked until his eyes ached. Have you ever looked to God like that? Maybe for a relief in a time of trial. 
Do you look to God like that for your daily needs? Have you looked to God seeking joy in a time of depression? And sometimes it seems that those things don't come. We look and we look and we look and yet no answer seems to arrive. What are we to do? Well, another writer goes on and he says it this way, and I think this is so good. He says, though our eyes fail, yet God's word does not. And therefore, those that build upon it, though now discouraged, shall in due time see his salvation. What good news that is. That ultimately, every single promise will come to pass. Not always in our timing, not always in our way, uh, but in the Lord's. I, I'm so helped by uh, the end of Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three. You know, it's one of these. It's a. It's one of the great passages in the New Testament about the second coming of our Lord. The fact that God has promised that indeed He will right all wrongs. That Jesus is uh, going to come back. Uh, but the great thing about Second Peter 3 is that it acknowledges that it seems like it's been a really, really, really long time. And people mock these claims. And they say, where is the promise of the Lord's coming? But we're told in Second Peter 3.8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do you get what He's saying? Is that, yes, in our eyes it seems like a really slow time, but God's timing isn't ours, and He has purposes in all of our waiting. And at times when we are waiting, and waiting in faith, that the Lord is at work even there, for His good purposes. And ultimately, everything that the Lord has promised will come to pass. You know, in eternity, in eternity, dear friends, when we are with the Lord in glory, not one of us is going to be able to say, you know, the Lord promised this one thing and He never fulfilled it. No, we're going to praise Him for His faithfulness forever and ever. You know, I'm a, as a father, uh, sometimes... Uh, you know, your children will ask you, you know, Dad, when will you do such and such thing that you said that you're going to do? And, uh, sometimes you say, well, just be patient. Okay, I have a purpose. I, I have a plan why I'm waiting on this, on this particular thing. Uh, but then sometimes, quite frankly, as a parent, you forgot. You forgot what you were going to do. Or maybe you're lazy. And you're not doing what you're, you, you said you, you... Well, praise the Lord that we have a Heavenly Father who is not like that. Everything that He said is going to come to pass. And so sometimes when the Lord gives us that answer of not yet, no, you're going to keep crying to me and not see a... It seems like a fulfillment of this promise, yet the Lord still has good purposes in it and His Word will not come to fail. He fulfills all of His promises in His own timing. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. 
Let's move on fourth now to the fourth way that we are under the care of the Lord. And that is that he grants his servants both mercy and understanding. He grants his servants both mercy and understanding. We find this in verses 124 and 125. Okay, earlier in verse 121, the psalmist had appealed to his own good conscience. He had said, I have done what is just and right. Well, that's an often appropriate thing to say when we are comparing ourselves to another person and talking about a particular instance. However, when we consider our own lives in all of its aspects, and before the bar, not simply of another person, but before the bar of God's perfect righteousness, what is it that we should see? We should see how woefully short we fall. And so that is why our daily prayer needs to be the same as that tax collector. In Luke uh, chapter uh, 18, uh, the one who, uh, as opposed to the Pharisee, stood far off and dared not even turn his eyes unto heaven, but beat his own breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. That ought to be our daily prayer. Do you depend on God's mercy? Well, we have a a God who delights to show mercy to his children. You see that verse 124, deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. He is a God of steadfast love toward us. The greatest display of it, of course, is what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. The cross is the greatest and most amazing display of God's love that he deals with us not according to our merit, for we have none, but rather according to our grace. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He has given us of His Holy Spirit. He has made us His uh, children. Friends, that is the sinner's daily source of joy and of happiness that we would be continually brought back to that fount for sin and uncleanness. Our only hope, our greatest joy is in the mercy and steadfast love of our faithful God. And that's exactly what he shows to his children day in and day out. Deal with your servant, he says, according to your steadfast love. But then having received God's mercy, what then does the psalmist desire? Well, then he desires to be taught. To be taught, really, in the classroom of the Almighty. So he says, and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. This is one of the greatest things that he desires, that the Lord of all mercy and grace would become his teacher and instruct him in the way that he ought to go. It's God's grace that ought to lead to our obedient walk. Uh, The book of Titus Uh, makes this clear. Uh, Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But what does the grace of God do when it comes into our lives? It's this. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you get what that is saying? When God's grace comes into our lives, it teaches us, it trains us to live not in an ungodly way, but rather to follow after the Lord and his commandments. And I just, again, simply ask you, is that a strong desire of your life? That you would be seeking the instruction of God's will. Do you read your Bibles? Do you listen to the Bible being taught? Do you ask, how does the Bible apply in this situation that I'm in or in that situation that I'm in? What does the Bible say? And then do you pray, Lord, you give me understanding from your holy word. Oh, blessed is the one who is constantly seeking out God's will in every situation and who desires that the fruit of the grace of God in my life might be greater conformity unto my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say, deal with me according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes? What a wonderful prayer that is. So he takes care of us by granting his servants both mercy and understanding. Fifth, how does the Lord care for his people? Well, he acts powerfully toward the lawless. We see this in verse 126. Once again, the psalmist's eyes turn uh, to the wicked world around him. Uh, he says in the second half of verse 126, your law has been broken. Again, if I can appeal to the old King James, it says, this again, just picturesque language, they have made void your law. You know, you write void over a check that you've written. What does that mean? It means that whatever you wrote before, it's no good now. Okay, that check is worthless. And he's saying that's essentially what the world around us is saying about the law of God, that it's no good now, that it's worthless. It doesn't apply. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, listen to the way that Charles Bridges uh, puts it. He says, it seems as if the ungodly not only sin against God's law, but that they would drive it out of the world. Well, that's what it seems that most of the world has done to that Bible. They don't give it one thought. They don't give God's Word one thought. It's a relic from a bygone age. It has nothing to do with the world uh, today. See, people are seeking to live in their own way. And so when the psalmist observes that about the world in which we live, what does he, what does he do? Well, his cry, verse 126, is this. It is time for the Lord to act. Lord, I can't change people's hearts, but you can. God, would you be at work? And what does it mean for God to act? Well, I think chiefly it's to act in a saving way. Lord, save those who are now your enemies. You did it in my life. Can't you save others who likewise have no regard for your holy law? Can't you show your saving mercy to them as well? And the God also acts in judgment. So it's asking... It's saying, Lord, will he act both in salvation and in judgment? 
think it's on a basis of a verse like that that we can be praying for revival. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said, I don't have the quote in front of me, and this is, so this is a, a 21st century paraphrase of that great 18th century theologian, but Edwards once said something like, when uh, God intends to revive uh, his people, he sets his people praying for that revival that he's about to bring. The precursor, often, to God acting mightily in a saving way. Coming even through dead, stony New England, bringing new hearts to lost sinners. Of causing churches to be planted and churches to be full and God's praises to be sung and His words sought after and children raised, not according to the ways of this world, but after uh, uh, the will of Almighty God. The precursor to that, dear friends, is that God's people would Pray and pray strongly and mightily for that. Oh Lord, it is now is the time for the Lord uh, to act. We pray in that way. Isaiah 62, uh, uh, in verses uh, 6 and 7, tell us to give God no rest. Uh, to give God uh, no rest. You who put the Lord in remembrance... Take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. That's Isaiah 62, uh, mainly verse 7. So, can we be those who call upon the Lord uh, to act? And you see, that's even a way of caring for his people because it is when the Lord acts in that way that he brings yet other people into the company of his children. He gives us, as it were, new friends, new partners in the gospel, new brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ when he acts in that way. Oh, would the Lord act among those who have made void the law of God. Well, what's the sixth way and the final way now that the Lord cares for his people? How are we under the care of the Almighty? And it is this that lastly, He gives us His exceedingly valuable Word. He gives us His exceedingly valuable Word. And we see this in verses 127 and 128. You know, you and I delight to give valuable gifts uh, to people that we love. Uh, R.T. Crane was an extraordinarily wealthy a Chicago industrialist. I believe it was his name that was on things like Crane Plumbing. Uh, well, he uh, bought land in Ipswich, Massachusetts in the early 1900s and built a European-inspired Italian villa near Ipswich for his wife. Well, when she saw it, she didn't like it. And so they raised it to the ground and they replaced it with a 56,000 square foot, 59 room summer house uh, that she liked better. And it's a tour that you, a home you can still tour. I've not seen it yet uh, outside of uh, in, in Ipswich, uh, Massachusetts, right along uh, uh, the water. Well, that's a valuable gift given to a woman that he must have loved a lot. Well, friends, God has given us a gift that is far, far more valuable than even a 56,000 square foot home made out of, I'm sure, all sorts of precious metals. 
But what does a psalmist say about this gift that the Lord has given? He says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. O Lord, you have, who have loved us infinitely in your Son, have given us one of the greatest gifts we could ever imagine, which are the very words of the living God himself. It's better than all the gold and silver pieces of this world. To have in a world of darkness and sin a sure, steadfast, true word from God that is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. A word which points us to the Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus. A word full of his promises and that gives us hope a word with instruction about how to make our way in this world, an eternal word as we have seen before. Friends, that is a gift that you and I ought to prefer above any home or any other possession that we could ever receive. It's the finest gift of all. And what a gift it is from our loving God. How does He care for us? One of the chief evidences that He cares for us is He's given us this book. You own a Bible. And has the Holy Spirit ever given you any help to understand what this Bible says? If so, then you have received an extraordinary gift from your loving God. And by this word, He cares for you. And by this word, He will continue to care for you until you see Him face to face. Do you treasure God's word? as David does. Is it better than gold, fine gold? Do you consider all of his precepts to be right and thus hate every false way? I praise the Lord for his faithful, tender care over his people. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, how we thank you for the ways that you care for your servant. Is there any better place to be than under the care of the Lord, the Almighty? God in heaven, we pray that you would remind us of your loving care, that you would direct our hearts to seek after you, that you would give us, as we have seen, a good conscience, that you would point us to the covenant and to Christ, that we would wait upon the fulfillment of your promises that we would remember your mercy and desire that you would be our teacher. Lord, we pray that you would act in the salvation of those who are lawless. And Lord, that you would cause us to love your commandments for what they are better than fine gold itself. Lord, bring these things to pass, we pray, increasingly in our lives. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name.